Hello, welcome to the Leaders of Learning podcast. I'm your host, Ling Ling. If you played computer games in the 20th century, you'd probably recognize this tune. Or this one. Games are prevalent in all levels of society. We play it on our laptops, our consoles, and even carry it around in our pockets. From the days of Tetris and Super Mario, the global gaming industry is worth $109 billion today. Mobile games take 42% of the market. Along with its rapid growth, corporate learning and educational institutions have adopted various game-based methods and technology. But can we effectively learn from games? Joining us is Siddharth Jain, the creative director of Playware Studios, a game-based learning company here in Singapore. How did you end up becoming the creative director of Playware Studios? Well, um, I'm the founder of uh, Playware and um, I did not want to be the CEO. <laughs> so, uh, no, but seriously, um, I'm a lifelong gamer actually. I, uh, I started my career back in 1997, uh, playing professionally games. And uh, since 2000, I've been building games, uh, entertainment games of all types. And uh, in 2015, we came to uh, shifted to Singapore and uh, as an entertainment company. But in 2007, um, we were approached by Ministry of Education to do some of the first uh, early work in serious games, uh, game-based learning in Singapore. And uh, since then, we've kind of pivoted and uh, Playware has become a totally uh, games for learning kind of company and, and that's what I've been doing for the past 10 years essentially. What is it that you exactly do in Playware? Uh, Playware is, uh, like I said, a serious games company. Um, we do all kinds of games. Uh, we do games for healthcare training. We do games for mainly around the concept of learning through games. So we work with all the way up from primary school, secondary school. Um, we work with universities, polytechnics. Uh, we work with major corporates such as Bayer, Caterpillar, uh, Unilever. We work with uh, people like Resorts World Centers, uh, Singapore Airlines, and so on and so forth. Um, we kind of uh, focus on this idea, core idea of the use of games technologies and methodologies uh, for for learning. So we, I thought, kind of cover the entire spectrum, uh, all the way from serious games uh, into gamification. Um, but our key focus is this idea of how you can learn more effectively um, using games. So we often hear of the term gamification. The definition is generally incorporating game-like elements into non-gaming activities. Uh, is it similar to what you do or is it different? Yeah, gamification is interesting actually. I think gamification means a lot of different things to different people. Um, 
at its very core, the English construct gamification, gamify something, means make something into a game. Um, and uh, which kind of fits very clearly what you know we, we try to kind of define gamification as. So if you use uh, techniques, uh, motivational techniques, uh, uh, engagement techniques from games into non-entertainment related activities, I would say that you are gamifying those activities. Um, just like if you are um, using game technologies for non-entertainment related activities, um, we would consider them serious games. Because something as simple as, for example, progression. Your steps tracker uh, provides you a sense of progression that lets you know where you are and therefore motivates you to do more. It doesn't have any other than the fact that games, one of the key principles of game design is let the user know their progression. Um, it doesn't actually use any of the game principles. So is it still gamification? A lot of people will argue yes. Um, but so what I'm trying to say is like gamification in general is kind of it's a loose definition of the idea of using, to, to, in my mind at least, the idea of using game design principles and philosophies um, to create non-game activity. How is that different from serious based game learning as, as what you mentioned? What is the difference? How does it look like? So serious games, uh, very clear, it's very clear definition. It's basically the use of game technology um, for non-game or non-entertainment related activities. So for example, you can use a game engine for visualizing an oil rig. It has nothing to do with motivation, it has nothing to do with engagement, but it uses game-based learning technologies. That's considered serious games. It's not really a game. There are transactional servers doing you know, stock exchange activities that use multiplayer game uh, servers. That's not really a game. The activity is not a game, but it's using a game engine. That's considered serious games application. So that's a separate kind of thing completely. This is where I think what we do, for example, we focus on game-based learning. And that's why things kind of get interesting with uh, gamification, because pretty much everything we, we do has elements of gamification. I mean, you're taking a training program, you're taking scenario-based learning, you're taking a case uh, study, and you're making it into a game. Is it gamifying? Yes, you could call it gamifying. Is it you know serious games? Yes, you could call it serious games as well. So it kind of becomes very difficult to kind of clearly define these things. I imagine that not all topics are suitable for this serious game-based learning, as the example you gave of the exploring the oil rig or something of the sort. So what kinds of how to say topics are more suitable for serious game-based kind of learning? In learning itself, I define learning into two particular parts. I, I call uh, learning as practice, which is basically the uh, application of skill or the game, you know, sort of acquisition of skill or improving skills. So basically, that's practice. This one element of learning, and the other element of learning is basically knowledge. And the whole idea around memorization, the acquisition of knowledge, uh, the recall of uh, things, the facts that are known. In general, games do much better with skill-based applications. Uh, skills-based training, procedures, uh, learning how to do something, what are some other things to think about. Games are excellent platforms for taking a novice at a particular task and making them into uh, a person who has uh, experience with that task. This is evidenced with uh, examples like the aviation industry is one of the early adopters of using games for training. Uh, you know, they've been using 
simulations uh, and games for training aircraft for a very long, uh, you know, aircraft pilots for a very long time. Similarly, the military industry, uh, military has been using games for a very long time. Healthcare has been using games for a very long time. So what I can say very, quite uh, clearly is that wherever there is a vocation involved, there's a job involved, somebody has to do that job. And you want to put across the experiences or skills that, that somebody requires to do those jobs, games will work extremely well. Also in K-12 education, Things you know, things like thinking skills, 21st century skills, communication skills, teamwork, are very, you know, games are a very good vehicle for those kinds of uh, learning. What do you think are topics that are not so suitable for game-based learning? Because I'm sure there's some limitations that come to come with it as well. If you wanted to make somebody better at recalling particular pieces of content, though, maybe memorization works, uh, you know, better. Or, uh, rote learning works better. Uh, that requires a clear recall of information. There are more efficient ways of uh, making you remember that. One great example is people, there are, there are people who actually play a lot of word games and actually are quite conversant with creating words very quickly with word games. But because most games have a feedback mechanic for when you get a word wrong, in everyday life they aren't very good at spelling or not very careful about spelling. While you could learn word construction and rapid word construction as a reflexive skill, you don't necessarily learn the discipline of uh, writing the word down clearly or uh, you know, uh, correctly if you're not doing it under a time trial. You know, that kind of a thing I think in a non-gamified task could be done quite well. The whole idea behind games, the whole process of design uh, pedagogy or the design methodology that we use for games is this idea of uh, learning through trial and error in a safe environment. If you look at the coach learning cycle, for instance, as a, as a learning uh, cycle, that's one of my favorite examples. Actually, it's, it's play, right? Active experimentation, what does it mean? You, you're in a situation, you don't know what you're supposed to do, you try to do something. Uh, you know, concrete experiences, uh, which means you get a result, you see something that you've done, right? Then you have you know, abstract conceptualization, basically coming up with a plan, how you're going to do this, right? So all of this, I'm like, all of this kind of fits very well into the idea of how we design games, right? The whole idea of behind games is also, you know, you're, you're in a situation, you try something out, uh, you either succeed or you don't succeed. If you succeed, uh, you feel happy and, you know, you, you, you try something slightly more difficult. And, you know, that's, that's basically the process of play. So I can, I kind of, fits very well uh, with these things. If we look out into the market, of course, uh, people talk about e-learning, mm -hmm. people talk about m-learning, and I think the most accessible form of technology is is video learning. So mm -hmm. what can one benefit from game-based learning? Okay, a lot of these technologies that you mentioned, for example, videos, um, or e-learning, or micro-learning, or, or you know, basically uh, any of these web technologies, as well are knowledge transfer platforms and as knowledge transfer platforms they're great but they don't really give you a chance to practice anything right games on the other hand are essentially practice platforms. in fact i like to call them practice transfer platforms right to create a holistic understanding of any topic you need both practice and knowledge right um, you, you can't you can't say that in the vacuum of uh, you know without in the absence of any practice, somebody who is just very knowledgeable about a topic can perform. This is not true. We've seen this happen time and again 
in the incredibly qualified doctors who never actually performed the surgery are not able to perform the surgery. Um, it, it, it goes down all the way to you know an inexperienced salesman with all the product knowledge or all the process knowledge without any practice stumbles in front of a customer, you know, makes a mistake. These things cost real money to organizations, right? So what you can do with game-based learning is you can actually make sure that the person performing the task in your front line of your organization actually has practice. And that's something games can provide. And a lot of the other sort of platforms that we mentioned in learning, they don't provide those things. It sounds really interesting that game-based learning has all these different elements of knowledge transfer and, and skills and, and the opportunity to, like you say, practice in a safe environment. So let's say I'm an organization that wants to create a game-based learning just for my uh, employees. So what is the process before uh, for embarking on this journey of developing a game-based learning program for my company? What are the considerations that I need to take? What kind of limitations? How long does it usually take? Um, in my experience, uh, I've been doing this for quite a few years now, in my experience what I've seen is a lot of organizations are not very practice focused when it comes to their transfer of learning. Most organizations are guilty of this, are basically uh, more or less uh, knowledge focused. So you have some PowerPoint or you have some process sheet uh, that you've prepared and then you just leave your people to learn on the job. So you just say, okay, you call it OJT or whatever. And what you do is you throw them in the deep end and uh, if they make a mistake, there may or may not be a mentor or a manager to give feedback to them. Other than that, there is no real learning. And what you, you expect is that, okay, over the years, somebody would learn. Now, this used to work extremely well in kind of assembly line type situations where, you know, there was a tight working community. The tasks were fairly physical, right? In today's workspaces, where a lot of the cha challenges that somebody gets in their workspace have to do with thinking, uh, have to do with cognition, this becomes a problem. This actually becomes very, very dangerous and actually it's one of those things that end up, you know, organizations can end up losing a lot of money on. When we start talking about, with any organization to, you know, we start talking about building games for learning for them. The first thing that we try to ask them is, can you recognize your enterprise practice? What is your enterprise practice? What does you know, an individual, individual person who is part of your team, what do they do in their everyday? So this job that you're trying to train somebody for, what does it entail? Now, some organizations such as uh, hospitals, or hotels, or airlines have very easy. So they know what their frontline staff does. But other organizations, corporates have uh, you know, a very tough time trying to figure this out. So that starts, you know, the first conversation. So the first part of the conversation is, do you recognize what your enterprise practice is? Do you know how that can be transferred? How do you currently do that? Now, if you have some sort of training that you already do around the practice of your work, making that into a game is, is a piece of cake, right? But very often we have to develop not just the game, but the actual training curriculum around the transfer of that particular type of practice, which usually takes a little bit more time. Um, and again, it depends from organization to organization. It depends on scale and it depends on what their current training techniques are. You know, we usually look at subject matter expertise coming from inside the organization, uh, which is usually better for larger organizations, uh, smaller organizations. 
don't recognize their own subject matter expertise in many ways so it becomes harder or often they expect us to provide subject matter expertise which again uh, means we have to go out and look for somebody uh, in that field. Yeah, it's a, it's a mixed bag. I, I wouldn't say there's a one-size-fits-all for how long it would take but depending, depending on how much preparation the organization has done into the thought or into the process of uh, building a practice within the organization it could take you know, a fairly short amount of time very long. What is a short amount of time and what is a long amount of time in your world? Okay, uh, so for us, uh, typically a short time means, I mean, like, you can start building games within, uh, you know, um, a week or two weeks uh, from meeting people. Often, uh, I have had examples where somebody has written a script, uh, you know, a case, a scenario, or sent me their training content. And that kind of automatically, almost automatically translates into a game because that's uh, something that they already practice with, right? It's a procedure for practice. So for me, it's very straightforward, uh, you know, adding the kind of shiny bits and, you know, making it look, uh, look real and things like that. And so just basically replicating what they already do in the real environment, in the virtual environment, that's quite straightforward. Long means uh, we've had uh, conversations with customers where, you know, there's been like three months, six months, nine months, 12 months. And all we're doing right now is still capturing what they want to train and how they want to train that. You know, what is the correct way, who's the correct audience. And, you know, sometimes that can take, you know, a very, very, very inordinately long amount of time. And uh, I understand that as well because, you know, like I said, not all organizations are practice focused. Why are some organizations still fixated on the knowledge transfer and not realize the importance of practicing these skills? What is stopping them from seeing uh, the importance of practicing the skills? I think what it boils down to is that learning, you know, again, the attitude towards learning in organizations, between organizations differ. Some organizations spend a lot of effort and time and money on learning in general. I'm not talking about game design, just learning in general. And they have, you know, they've figured it out that, you know, they're going to have issues like turnover, staff turnover, or they're going to be accessing new markets regularly, or they're going to, uh, you know, have customer opportunities that are very valuable and you really can't uh, play around with those opportunities. Those kinds of organizations would typically have a much better uh, and much fairer, much uh, clearer understanding of what they want to do. And in my experience, some sort of practice-based learning in, in play already. Organizations that, on the other hand, don't, are not working in very competitive spaces or enjoy some sort of, uh, you know, first mover advantage or governmental benefit or something like that, or um, have very low value, lots of very low value transactions and their margins are difficult uh, uh, and there's a lot of pressure on the bottom line, would be negligent of you know, spending too much money or effort on learning. That's one way of classifying it, right? Again, certain organizations, for instance, insist that they hire experienced people, especially smaller companies. Frequently they say, okay, uh, we're not going to hire uh, freshers, we're not going to train somebody Training is not our, um, it's not our portfolio, it's not, it's not one of the things that we do. Uh, let us just find people who, who already know the job and who can come in and, and immediately do the job. Now, yes, 
in certain operation sizes, uh, that's a viable strategy and, and that works. Of course, uh, for very large companies, the cost of acquisition of manpower itself can be very high. Again, like there is no one-size-fits-all kind of, you know, I think it, it depends on the organization's own own priorities. It sounds like you work with a large range of organizations from SMEs to big companies and I'd imagine it's from various, as you mentioned, from various industries mm -hmm. like uh, the hospital, the military and so on. Uh, but the games-based learning industry itself, it's its very, very niche. Mm -hmm. I cannot imagine or maybe I don't know it enough that uh, you might have a lot of companies that play in the space. Maybe not. Mm -hmm. But um, what if I am someone who is interested in this industry? and I want to be uh, a games learning designer. So mm. how do I go about becoming a games learning designer? One of the big challenges that we faced is initially we, for example, uh, tried to hire learning designers, uh, people who have uh, you know, uh, instructional, learning, instructional design experience to come in and look at whether or not we could work with them as game-based learning experts. We found that there's a lot of things to unlearn for those people. One of the big challenges that you have is game-based learning. Instructional design in general focuses on knowledge transfer, primarily, uh, and knowledge transfer-based training. Pretty much every piece of e-learning that you can pick up talks about uh, you know, creating a scaffold and talks about the efficiency of transfer of knowledge in a way that somebody can actually participate or use an e-learning once and never use it again, and that's fine. They retain a lot of the knowledge. So knowledge retention is a main kind of skill. Uh, over there. Game-based learning on the other hand actually has a completely different set of objectives. So game-based learning uh, talks about creating expertise, creating practice, creating kind of an awareness of the situation. Therefore, when you design games, you design games with the idea that somebody will actually play that game several times over. It's completely the opposite end of the spectrum, right? You, so you're saying instructional design, typically e-learning is designed with this idea, somebody will do this once and have very long knowledge retention. In games, we're saying, we don't expect you to pass this once, we want you to try it again and again and again. Because the whole idea is about practicing your skills, right? So at the very, very offset, the design philosophies are quite different from each other. So we've struggled to find uh, people with designing learning games off the bat, coming out of any kind of course or something. So what we've tried to do instead is we've tried to find people with training experience. And this is one of the things that kind of uh, I, I, I kind of very strongly stand by. So if you've done live training before, if you've been a teacher, if you've done like you know you know how to take a workshop, you know you know whether it's actor trained or not, it doesn't matter. I'm talking about any kind of person who's done extensive hands-on training, teaching. You, know, you start with that kind of person. Now you already are familiar. That person will already be familiar with things like engagement, the idea of uh, having goals, lesson plans, and things like that. So he's familiar with learning terminology in general. Then we try to match that with somebody who already has a passion for games. Games are something, and, and, and passion for games usually means uh, people who play a wide variety of games over you know, a wide variety of platforms and have that exposure to what games mean. Because games is such a large industry today, it's the largest entertainment industry in the world. And you may be playing a particular kind of mobile games and, and you think that that's all there is, but that's not all there is. There are Massively multiplayer online games where millions of people play concurrently online. There are mobile games, again, also massively multiplayer. There are real-time games. There are turn-based games. There are there are physical games. Uh, games how games play on consoles are very different from how game, 
games play on PCs and are very different from how games play. There are games that are artistic games. Uh, there are games, you know, a lot of people say all games are violent. No, there's a whole world of games that are about management simulations of different types, time management, uh, resource management. There are all kinds of puzzlers. There's all kinds of games that are adventure games. There are sports-based games, racing-based games. So there's a whole range of different kinds of games available. So what we try to do is we try to find people who have a wide exposure with different types of games. Now if we can match these two skill sets, so if you have somebody who has training experience and who has experience with a lot of different types of games, then we can actually start training them with the ideas of how to actually use games for training quite quickly. And so that's, you know, that usually takes like a couple of days and, and they're usually familiar with how to do these things. You know, that's how we kind of uh, find. Now, if this of course doesn't, it doesn't answer your question of how can somebody get into this, uh, this line. Well, having a good portfolio of games that you've played is definitely important. Anybody wanting to get into this field will understand that uh, different games are useful for different, different kinds of learning. Uh, so for example, a match three is an excellent pattern recognition game, but you wouldn't be able to teach banking with it. Uh, whereas a role-playing game, uh, for example, is a great place uh, to learn interpersonal skills, uh, but isn't excellent for uh, you know things like uh, time management. Uh, so again, I mean, like if you go to something like a Cooking Mania or Tanner Dash kind of a time trial game, uh, time resource trial game, it's excellent for understanding the overall, but doesn't let you see the nuances of the gravity of a particular dangerous task, say bomb disposal, you know, it wouldn't work very well. So depending on the subject domain, uh, you may need a completely different approach to the game design, which would mean that you need to be familiar with that kind of game design. So somebody trying to get into this field uh, should definitely get as much experience as possible with different kinds of games, and that's on one side. And of course, like I said, um, if you want to get into any kind of instructional design principle, I think that you should start with having some experience with hands-on training, right? Uh, actually conducting real training, because I think that's the best way to figure out how people learn. I'm glad you brought up the different uh, types of games, because growing up I've played a lot of those games myself, all those simulation mm -hmm. games and, and, uh, and so on. But is understanding the different types of games and training enough? Because I would imagine in a technology-based company, wouldn't you need technological skills like programming or graphic design and, and things? So people who do art for games, for instance, are just game artists. That's a recognized profession. Uh, today, it's a, you, know, you can get a bachelor's degree or a graduate degree in that. Same with game programmers. Programmers are programmers. You know, a, a game programmer, in terms of skill set, isn't very different from an application programmer um, or vice versa. Application programmers also can come into game programming. Uh, when it comes to game design, that's where the differences arise. So if you want to get into game art, uh, for example, or, or game programming, so there's a very set career path to achieve that. On the flip side, when you're talking about learning games, not all learning games need to be technology oriented. You can actually make very good learning board games or card games. Uh, you can make uh, extremely good learning social games. I, I don't think that there is any one particular kind of skill, and I can't say that every learning game should be made with a Unity game engine or using HTML5 
or using uh, you know Unreal or any any other technology. It depends very much on the situation. It really depends on what they need uh, in terms of training. So in terms of technical skills, I think you know everybody should get as many technical skills as they can possibly acquire because you know those are only in a stack. You know, I was just talking about the mindset. That's actually very insightful because when I think about game-based learning, I think about, okay, I need to know this programming language or I need to know how to do graphics design, hmm. but it's also quite interesting that as in, in this field itself, we also need to learn how it's designed psychologically, how yes. the users or the gamers go through the game based on the needs of what they need to learn and, and so on. So what do you see is the future of game-based learning? Because technology will keep improving, will keep developing and so on. Uh, where do you see game-based learning going? So game-based learning I think is here to stay. I don't think it's going anywhere. It's only going to you know gain strength from strength. I believe that pretty much all learning in general eventually at some point in singularity will be game-based. I have a very clear belief that all learning or play is inherently learning and uh, most learning can benefit from play. What is, you know, how I define a game, like I said, is a safe environment where you can try to, you know, aspire for a skill, try to get that skill, and in a structured way, get feedback uh, on whether or not you get uh, that skill and, uh, and have some sort of reward mechanism and things like that. So that entire engagement is what I consider a game or, or play. A play can be a little bit more open-ended than a game, may not have an objective, so uh, that's the main difference between playing games. But it's essentially inherently about learning, learning new skills. So I feel that as technology improves, as, uh, as access improves, as people's understandings of what games are improves. When I started my career back in 2000, there was still a kind of, kind of a, you know, games were a kind of a pejorative term, they, they, they meant something bad or, you know, or something that you wasted your time on. You know, it was like, um, Life is not all fun and games. But people have started kind of like, you know, the generation that grew up since that time um, actually grew up with games and, and embraces games. So, for instance, uh, a lot of the people that I know of uh, who are contemporaries of mine, who are also parents, have, you know, big libraries of games for their children to play and, you know, participate in these activities concurrently. I, it was unthinkable. For me, I was young to actually imagine playing a game with my dad. But I play games with my daughters frequently. And I know a lot of such families, a lot of families in my uh, immediate social circle who do this as well. So as the stigma goes away, as people embrace it as a lifestyle, uh, it's already become the largest entertainment game industry in the world. As the people have, uh, embrace games as, a, as, a, as part of culture, I think their role in learning is also going to keep as more and more organizations use more and more games, you will see that uh, you know you will start getting very good empirical data that proves that uh, having practiced workforces improves your chances for success, uh, improves your efficiencies in an organization, improves your profitability, which in turn will get uh, you know further go ahead from managements worldwide for uh, you know learning organizations, learning uh, centers within organizations to embrace games. Sounds like a, a bright future for mm. Playware Studios mm. as more and more people start to embrace games as a way of learning. I, mm. like, I like how you say that uh, play is essentially 
learning. Hmm. Learning is essentially play. Thank you very much for your time, Siddharth. Thank you. That was Siddharth Jain, Creative Director of Playware Studios. Highlights from this episode and contact details of our guest is available on our podcast website at www.leadandlearn.co. That is www.leadandlearn.co. We will be taking a break next week for Chinese New Year. When we come back, our guest Meilin Tan, who is the head of academic development at the Singapore Institute of Management, will be discussing about the challenges, strategies, and techniques to effectively transfer expert knowledge. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, take a moment to rate, share, or review us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you download your podcast. Every rating helps us to build credibility and attract new listeners. This helps us to keep making the show. This is your host, Ling Ling. Thank you for listening to the Leaders of Learning podcast.